special middle Sunday of Wimbledon episode of No Challenges Remaining. I'm Ben Rothenberg. She's Courtney Nguyen. Are you enjoying this intermission, Courtney? Like middle Sunday? Yeah. Yeah. Here's my thing about middle Sunday. We said this last year. I think that we've said this many times. And I know that it's really, really annoying from a fan perspective yeah. because you work all week and you get to the weekend and one of the two days there's no play. Right. But for those of us who are actually working the tournament... It is amazing. It's so it nice. It's a godsend. It's so nice mentally as well as just everything else, especially even before it happens. Just knowing during like day five that you're going to get a day off, which normally you work, we work 14 straight days during these tournaments and long hours at these tournaments too, first ball till hours and hours after last ball. So we're pretty excited about that. I was thinking though about the weekend issue because I understand uh, most people who listen to us are on the fan side of the equation that maybe they could shift it to have the day off be Monday and have a day off after the fourth round before the quarterfinals, all the rest, and don't miss maybe. a weekend day. I can see what you're saying. is like So basically put all of the fourth rounds on one day, on Sunday? Well, they're already on Monday. Right, right, right. Yeah, so you're saying put all the fourth rounds on one day, give everybody a day off, and then start the quarterfinals on Tuesday. The problem with that, now that yeah. I'm hearing it out loud, is that the men have to play, would have to play back-to-back. Exactly. So maybe not the <laughs> best idea I've ever had, but... I think it's still pretty great. Yeah, so let's talk about Wimbledon, because we're halfway through, and some stuff has happened. Uh, let's start with the thing that happened yesterday for us, the loss of Serena Williams, who lost uh, early before the quarterfinals, uh, which is early for her, even fourth round is early for her, and quarterfinals is honestly even early for her, too. Uh, lost in the third round to Alize Cornet of France, a past NCR guest, uh, so she gets some bumping. And uh, she beat uh, Serena 1-6-6-3-6-4, uh, got killed in the first set, and then Serena just kind of disappeared and started pushing the ball into the middle of the court, and Cornet kind of had her way with her, weirdly, and hit a lot of drop shots, and generally Cornet all over the place, and was very happy afterwards, and after Serena waiting, waited for her to pack her bags so they could leave together, Serena standing there by the chair while Cornet packs, made for some good photos. Um, Didn't just stand there, she tapped Cornet on the shoulder. Oh, really? I didn't see that. Oh, did you not see the tap? No, oh, I didn't we see the tap. we were talking about this this morning. Um, okay, so what happened was, Cornet was obviously reveling in the fact that she just pulled off Deservedly this Deservedly so. Deservedly so. I mean, in my opinion, you let Alizé Cornet celebrate for as all hell long as she wants. Like, there should be a hook that pulls her <laughs> off of, of, of uh, number one court. Yeah. Um, you know, to make way for the second court. But anyway, she's celebrating. She's sitting in her chair. She's looking at her box. She's kind of reveling in the moment. Serena's already all packed up. Serena walks behind her and taps her on the shoulder and is kind of like, let's go. And so then Cornet and stands there. And uh-huh. Cornet has to like pack, throw, pack up all of her stuff quickly and like walk off the court. But then... Cornet comes back on. Cornet comes back on. That was what I was going to bring up. Which is amazing. Cornet comes... As, as soon as Serena kind of gets behind the, the curtain or whatever you want to call it, Cornet comes back out and goes like, well, we're like, yeah! Like an encore. Like she had to, she had to have her encore. Encore is, is a so French word. Alize Cornet. She Everything a, about it was Alize Cornet. She deserves an encore it. for that she performance. Did. She played well. Serena, though... And then let's talk about Serena. It's a whole thing with Serena right now. Courtney, what do you think is wrong with her? What's up with a what's up with a girl? I just think that she's just not right in the head right now. I mean, uh-huh. I think that mentally, I think that she, that she's foggy. I don't think that there's any 
you know, as far as we can tell, anything necessarily physically wrong with her. So you do have to think that there's something psychological or or kind of mental or emotional. Emotional, yeah. So yeah, I just think that there's something wrong mentally. I think that emotionally she's she's foggy. I don't think that she really knows what she needs to do out there or how to play the right way. I just I don't I in in ways I wonder if it's it's a motivation struggle because the goal is not clear right now. I think maybe in the past 18 months the goal was hey let's win a bunch of tournaments let's try and see what you can do if you absolutely commit yourself and you play a lot and you know until so she racked up all these kind of ama- the last season was to me like her most amazing season of just you know in terms of tournament wins and things like that. Now I just kind of get the sense that she doesn't really know what the goal is. I think that she kind of fired a lot of bullets um, at some weird targets over the past two years. And I'm talking about you, Bastard. And I'm talking about other things that she did where she kind of peaked at different times of the calendar than she normally had in her career. And not that she was peaking at Bastard, obviously, but she spent energy going deep in tournaments she didn't usually bother going deep at. And now there's a little left, less in the chamber this year. And I think just she needs to be full when she comes into a slam. And we saw it even when we, we had her first uh, pre-tournament press conference here, which we talked about on the last episode, that she was just sort of irritable and testy then and whatever it was. And, and we should also point out that she played really well in her second round match, for sure. Just crushed Skeppers 1-1 one and one in 49 minutes. So there was, and again, 6-1 in the first against Cornet. So there was no real sign of this letdown coming, but it was a complete letdown, and it I just think she probably needs to change some at this point. I don't know if that's her coach. Yeah, no, I, don't know. I think I think that she, I think that Patrick Mortoglu is not long for this world as her coach. You know, I don't think that that coaching relationship is is working anymore. I mean, this is this is not a good season for Serena. There's no way around it. She's WT number one, having not made it past the fourth round of a major this year with three in the bag. She could be a slamless number one. You she guys, very easily the irony be a sla- of Serena being yeah, a slamless. She could number very one. easily be a slamless number one after the U.S. Open. I mean, because she's got a decent sized cushion. Yeah, because, she well, does. Especially she has to. Def- she's defending Canada and a Cincinnati final. So she theoretically, if, if Halep, let's say, goes on to win in Wimbledon and then one of those two tournaments, Halep would get to be number one before uh, the U.S. Open. But right. other than that, there aren't that many paths where Serena loses it before that. Because Lina, we can talk about briefly next, has also fallen off lately. First round French, third round in Wimbledon. Although, Courtney, you were saying that you think that maybe she's just more of a hardcore specialist at this point in her career yeah. than we give her credit for. No, this, yeah, Ben and I, I got into a rather, and I apologize, Ben, for the record, for being a bit terse with you when you asked me the question before. But yeah, no, we were talking about Lina, and I was just saying, look, okay, everybody thinks that she's super good on clay because she won the French Open. That doesn't mean that she's super good on clay. I mean, it was just, she just kind of zoned in that uh, that tournament, played an incredible level of tennis to win it, and it was great. But she's not that super good on clay. She yeah. doesn't like grass. She's said it before. Go ahead. Grass is the one that I, f- I find harder to compute just because it was the service where I first noticed her several times. Yeah, she you had first several noticed, good early runs But it's her grass. worst results-wise slam. Recently. Across the board. She's never made it past the quarterfinals. She made the semifinals or better at every other major. Okay. That's so, true. like, this is her worst tournament. No, what I'm saying, but she made the quarterfinals of Wimbledon way before she did anything else sure. anywhere. And then the same, but she'll always say, even when that happened. No, and she agrees. She agrees with your premise. Right. Obviously. No. And yeah. No, she's that, an important narrator for her story. <laughs> but she likes hard courts. So, to me, I don't think you hit the panic button with Lena until you know a couple tournaments into. 
um, the hard court season because again last year it was a bit of the same kind of thing. She um, played gr- really really quality tennis like on the hard courts, making quarterfinals or better, and then she hit the the clay and grass and her results fell off. And then she picked it back up again on hard courts. So uh, I'm not really, again, making quarterfinals or better, I think, at almost every single one of the hard court tournaments last year. So I don't know. I, I, I'm not really entirely concerned. But, but what is disconcerting for Lena is less results-wise, but just mentally. I, I have just gotten the sense that, that she's just a bit, again, not unlike Serena, foggy. Yeah, in the mind. Just doesn't really understand why things are happening. Happened last time when she won a Grand Slam too. She had a bit of a a letdown after that, also. But everybody refers to a letdown at the after the Australian Open. She didn't have a letdown. She like this is what we were talking about. She had career best result at Indian Wells. She had career best result in Miami. Letdown. Yeah, like that's the thing. Okay, late onset. Yeah, I don't think that does not count to me. You can't compare this letdown. It's not a letdown. So we'll see what we'll see what. It's an interesting sort of time in the in the WTA right now because the one and two are not living up to their seating, even coming close at these last two tournaments, unless they're really wide open. Courtney, we're here going to the round of 16 at this point. What's your gut tell you about what's going to happen here? Or do you just say, no clue? I don't have a clue. Uh-huh. I'm not going to pretend that I do have a clue. But my gut tells me that Jeannie Bouchard is winning Wimbledon. That's kind of my feeling, too. It's a really unshakable feeling within me. I'm not ready for it. I'm not prepared for it. I mean, I, I was watching some of the BBC coverage this week, and I want to say it was Lindsay Davenport, but I could be wrong. But uh, I think it was Lindsay Davenport who was saying, you know, these young, this young group is coming through and, and kind of led by Jeannie Bouchard, but, but maybe not 2014. Maybe 2015 is when this crew, including Bouchard, would win, but not. And I kind of felt the same way. I was like, 2014 is too soon for me, personally, but I, I, can't, I can't shake it. You know, I mean, she plays Cornet on Monday, on Manic Monday, obviously a winnable match for her. Then she could potentially play Sharapova of who she pushed on three to three sets on a, on her worst surface and Sharapova's best surface. Yep. And that is entirely flipped when it comes to grass to me when I look at those two. So I think that's an absolutely winnable match from, from Jeannie, and I would expect her to win that match. And then she would play possibly Lisicki or Ivanovich or Halep. Again, winnable given, given the way she plays on grass. And then who the hell knows what's going on in the bottom half of the draw? It's completely impossible to know. I would not be surprised, Ben. Yeah. To see in the final, Jeannie Bouchard versus Caroline Wozniacki. Oh my gosh, that would make so many people at Wimbledon so happy because that match will be on center court. Yeah, that's interesting. I, speaking of Bouchard and center court briefly, um, I thought it was funny they put Jeannie Cornet on center court because they were just waiting to put Serena Bouchard on there and they were like, it's that other one. Eh. <laughs> sure. I guess so. Yeah, why not? The, the Canadian one's pretty. It's fine. We'll it's just fine. leave it. It's fine. It's fine. <clears throat> um, yeah, so I think that's interesting. I don't think it'll be Caroline because if because I think that Kvitova will stop Caroline because that's a really good matchup on grass for Kvitova. Although Caroline's playing well. Caroline is 4-4 four and four against Kvitova. Obviously, surface does dictate, but yeah. we also know that Caroline is precisely the type of opponent that Petra can implode against yep. a grinder who makes her hit the extra ball. She usually misses the extra ball. So there's that issue. Caroline has a winning record, five and four, I want to say either five and four or four and three against Aga. Okay. Who is the highest seed remaining in the bottom half of the draw. So basically, honestly, if Caroline gets past like Barbara Zalovova Stritseva, which I'm not saying that she will. No. Honestly, because I think that's actually weirdly a, a closer matchup. But against the top two seeds in the bottom half of the draw, those are winnable matches for Caroline Wozniacki. 
and ignore all this bullshit that you hear her say about how she's just about the tennis and she doesn't want to, it's not about getting vengeance or being vindictive about the whole McElroy situation, but I assure you, it's on her mind. And if she were to make the Wimbledon final and have potentially an opportunity to win, who the hell knows what happens in a final? Like, month, a month after she, like, Rory wronged her, it might end the British tabloid industry. It is, it is such a lifetime movie. It is such a lifetime movie. It really is. And you just see this, like, snarly little leprechaun actor playing McElroy. Yeah, it could be, I would watch that lifetime movie. I would get it on yeah. DVD for four ninety nine. It'd yeah. be great. And I would cry, <laughs> and I would cheer at the end. I mean, it, for I the would record, be on board with I don't that. think this script is getting written at this tournament. I think that... But I if it does, you heard it here first. NCR breaking news. It, you did hear it here first, and probably only here for now. Um, no, I don't. I think I think it'll be Kvitova or Redwanska getting through, and then yeah. I, after that, I don't know. I think Sharapova could beat Bouchard. I think that Halep could beat Bouchard. I think that Lissicky is still kind of a cockroach of this tournament and keeps and pl- is playing so She's much playing better. Well, dude, I did not so see this coming. Did you than, see this coming? No. I don't I'm, believe in the whole like she steps into the All England club and she's a transformed player. Sabine Lissicky has done jack squat. In the last 12 months. In the last 12 months. And now, now that said, you know, who knows what happens on Monday when she resumes and uh, against Ivanovic, she's up a set. Um, who knows? But, yeah, I mean, she's a known quantity on grass. Halep is not. It, I don't know. We'll see. A couple other women's names I want to mention briefly. Sloane Stevens is not in the second week of a slam for the first time in a while. She lost first round to Kirilenko. And I think based on, I think maybe she'll be a wooden spoon candidate at some point, Sloan, based on the way the draw has gone since then. Sloan and Anna Cohen are still together at this point, um, per their camp. Uh, do we, <laughs> that's the official word. That's the official word, is they are still together. They're unofficial words saying other things. Um, thoughts on Sloan? She had a very, she had an odd exit, I think, from the tournament, press-wise. She sort of seemed to be like, well, now you guys don't get to kick me around anymore, ha, 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 ha. It was, I thought it was strange. I find Sloane's general sense of self-importance with respect to her relationship to the American media quizzical. Yeah. Like, I don't know, I can't tell if she's being sarcastic and joking or if she genuinely thinks that the fact that she lost in the first week, like, we're wringing our hands because, good God, we have nothing to write about in the second week of a slam because, Christ, Sloane is not here. That's not actually happening. And no. our like we write about her when she makes it into the second week and it makes it it's a big deal when she makes it into the second week of slams because it's a newsworthy event. And mm-hmm. you know, a young American in the second week of a slam. But is she a cottage industry in the way that a, a Laura Robson is or a Murray, uh, Murray or Wozniacki. Yeah, Wozniak, exactly. Wozniak has a trail of Danish right. reporters behind her who you guys probably never know about because yeah. you don't read Danish. But she, well, especially when, and it's slimmed since she started slipping, but when she was number one, it was a hearty pack of like eight or nine mm-hmm. Danish reporters who went everywhere with yeah. her. And now I think it sounds like two or three. Right. Yeah. But like, we don't have that. I mean, Slum, the way, no. because I think when we were discussing this, maybe, I don't know if we were discussing in the last podcast or maybe at some point, but the way that Americans cover tennis is not actually nationalistic it's much more global it's much more global and so if our americans go out which they have and I mean, they will and isner, they'll keep doing it we have isner and keys that's who we have left and keys could only have seven points keys left is barely has two legs attached to her at this point um as she goes into monday but yeah like if 
that's done, guess what? Our readers care about Federer and Sharapova and Bouchard and Wozniacki. Wozniacki, Halep. I mean, people started caring about Halep, at least for us at Sports Illustrated, um, at the French Open. So, yeah, I just found those comments from Sloan just really, it's just like off-putting because I was just like, what, what do you, I'm confused as to what you think. Like, it's okay. You lost and we're, you know, sorry, like, we're bummed you lost, I guess, from a personal perspective, because we know you, but, like, it actually doesn't affect my life from a coverage perspective. I'm not, uh, I don't know. I'm not missing paychecks this week because Sloan lost. (laughs) Which I think was the match of the turn on the women's side so far. Petra Kvitova beat Venus Williams in three very, very tight sets, only two breaks in the whole match. Venus won the first 7-5, Petra won the second in a tiebreaker, and then won the third 7-5. Um, two Wimbledon champions on center court playing like Wimbledon champions. I mean, Venus, let's be clear, was not peak. It looked like she was still 24 years old or whatever, but she was playing really well, really focused, really sharp tennis. Petra was playing very well, best I've seen from her in quite a while, too. And they created this symphonic sort of match that was really cool to see. And it if was it, wonderful. And if it is... I mean, I think a lot of people saw that, especially when Venus took the first set and were like, wow, sorry, in that bottom half of the draw that was the wide open one, people said, wow, you know, Venus playing like this, look at her romance, she could, like, make the final or something, and it wasn't a crazy idea at all. But then she lost, and I think it's, obviously, Petra is good as a quality person to have around as a threat to go deep, too, but Petra's, Petra and unreliable, not that Venus is not reliable, too, but yeah, I don't know. It was, it was a... A very nice shining moment that maybe came a little too early, is my thought. Oh, definitely. I mean, I was cursing the fact that it was a third round match and, you know, that that's on, you know, Venus, really. Um, but because her ranking is, is where it is. But it was, it reminded me a lot of the match between Petra and Serena. Yeah. Two years ago, I think it was, quarters, right? Quarters, yeah. That was yeah, quarters. Which was still to say, like, such a memorable match. It was a straight set win for Serena, but it was the same vibe because it was such big, um, low margin hitting. It was like straight up grass court tennis and it left you on the edge of your seat because the minute that there was even something close to a break point, both players were holding pretty easily. Um, there were only two break points like on, I mean, there was technically five break points, but there were only, no, technically there were four break points. But really, there was just two break points because Venus broke at love 40, yeah. so whatever. But, um, yeah, and it really just came down to that tie break, and I th- the second set tie break. And I thought that, you know, the big difference there is just that Venus did come into this tournament undercooked. We know Petra's kind of battle-tested pedigree of being, you know, Petra three-set Petra. So I think that that really came through in the last two sets. But that was definitely the highlight of the tournament for me so far in the first week, just being able to, like, sit back and watch that match was great. That was pretty good. And it was Venus was actually relatively, I wouldn't say upbeat in victory, because I'm not sure she would ever be quite that, but she was as almost as sort of content as I think I've ever seen her. I mean, she really seemed to have this one in perspective, know that she played a great match, and then she played a great player who also played great, and just, you know, roll the dice, sometimes you lose. 7-5 in the third. Yeah. It happens. And that's something for Venus. Venus, a lot of times after losing, says, I just got to keep making fewer errors yeah. and just got to keep working on making less errors. Those errors are killing me. And it's kind of her, it's a weird mantra of hers. And uh, this time didn't have any of that. So I thought it was pretty, pretty cool to see. And if anything in the second week of the women's tournament lives up to that, we'll be pretty, pretty lucky, I think. I think so. On to the men. The men 
tournament has been relatively newsless, all things considered, on the top level anyway. Top four guys are still there. Uh, Varvrinka is still there. Burdich lost in the dark. Nick Kyrgios has made an unexpected run to the fourth round, including a redonk match against Gasquet, saving nine, nine match points. points. Nine match points! Nine match points, pretty crazy. NK Rising, hashtag, etc., whatever. Let's judge him on his tennis, not his tweets. Um, <laughs> Vesely made the third round, too. I mean, it's been a good tournament for young guys. Ronich, Nisha Kori, Dimitrov. Dimitrov has been treated like a Grand Slam champion here. He's been on center or one every single time, even though he's not in the top ten, which I find amusing. Thoughts on the men's draw and how it shapes up for the end, and it seems like it could be a big four semifinal. It seems like we're on track for, assuming that Novak's shoulder is okay. Is yeah, one no. asterisk I would put on that. It, 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 that is an asterisk. Um, it was weird. I thought that it was, you know, I consider myself a pretty cynical person, but I thought it was very odd that people reacted to Novak's shoulder injury so cynically. There were a lot of people who were like, oh, he totally blew that out of proportion. And I've done, like, sports medicine. Like, I did. I've taken sports medicine classes. I've taped ankles. I've done, you know, shoulder tests and knee ACL tests and whatever. And the way that Novak fell, I genuinely thought that he dislocated his shoulder. I thought so, too. You know, I thought that it was really, really serious. So, like, I really didn't understand a lot of people being, like, rolling their eyes and being like, no, he's fine. I'm like, no, that is Sometimes bad. Twitter is just dumb. It wasn't just Twitter, it was in the press room as well. I really? heard it a lot in the press mm. room. I heard it from a number of people on BBC and a bunch saying, oh, I think he just really blew it out of proportion. And so, yeah, we'll see how, luckily, the, the, the ultrasound MRI says that it's, it's structurally sound and there's not an issue. So that's good. But, um, yeah, before the tournament, I think you were asking on our preview podcast, you know, what do you want to see? What do you want, like, of Wimbledon? And I said, I want the big four to hold up, and I want to see the semifinals um, of, of Novak versus Andy and Rafa versus um, Roger. And as much as has happened, that's been pretty cool over the first week, um, that's going to happen. I think so. I'm certainly looking like it. It's yeah. been a good week for Murray, going to him briefly, defending champ. Really rolled through all three of his matches so far. Really crushed uh, Rola and Batista Gut in particular. And looking so relaxed yeah. and just like... Saving dogs. It's crazy. I don't know, like just really, like just watching him kind of like live his Wimbledon life. It, he's kind of... It's very different. It's than kind what, of like a honeymoon tournament it almost feels like for him. In some way. Kind of, you yeah. Know? It's just like, and it's maybe that didn't happen right after, maybe he swooned a little bit honeymoon-wise after sophomore slump or whatever you want to call it, I don't know, after his Wimbledon title last year and lost the motivation, which he's admitted. But yeah, this time he just seemed so content, so relaxed, so in control of things, and uh, Kevin Anderson next is not easy, Dimitrov after that is not necessarily easy, but it's hard not to like how he's playing, and I think it's also because we said it wouldn't be her fault if he lost early. I don't think this is necessarily due to Moresmo either. Too early for her to make a real on-court impact, but clearly it seems like the vibe at least he's getting from her is good yeah. and helpful. So that's all you can really get at this point is just sort of a vibe. Which is what he said, is that yeah. and it's not like any changes that come from the coaching relationship with Moresmo would not be technical, but it would be kind of like more of like an emotional thing, and I think that that's really what, what you see and. There were some sweet pictures that were on the wire this morning from a couple of days ago of him, like, out on the Orangi practice courts, like, giving his mom a hug, and his grandma and his grandfather were Aww. there, and he was giving his grandmother a hug, Aww. and then, like, his little cousin was, like, walking with him out to Orangi. It's, like, adorable. I, I, I just think that he's very chilled out. I mean, because the bottom line is it's, it's exactly what we always said, which is, you won Wimbledon. 
What I mean, you're set for life. You're set for life. Enjoy it. Exactly. Live, yeah. You know, live your life. You do you, Andy Murray. <laughs> <laughs> you're a nice boy. <laughs> uh, uh, last thing on the doll, because he, I think, I personally thought it was kind of fifty-fifty proposition him getting through this first week, just because what he's done in recent years on grass has been really, really below his normal standards anywhere else. Uh, he got through. He dropped the first set each time. The Klezan, uh Rosol. And Kukushkin, the Rosal match was particularly obviously compelling because of what happened last time. Rosal had his look. He had the second set on his racket, I think, in the second set tiebreak and kind of let that slip a little bit and then kind of folded from there. Thoughts on Rafa's survival? And is he, by this point, with the grass turning to dirt in the parts of the court he uses, is it business as usual circa 2010 for Rafa on grass? Or is he still coming here with a little bit of uh, grass-stained baggage? I mean, I think I think he's fine for the semis. Yeah. And then I think that from there, I'm I would be very much looking forward to a potential uh, Roger Federer Rafael Nadal match on grass in the semis. I just I don't know. There's a part of me that thinks that Ro- that Roger might be able to get the better of him this time, but That's we'll his, see. This is his best situation. Yeah. You know, and except maybe Hala. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but um, yeah. So so that's what I want to see, and and if he wins that match, then I do think that he wins the title. But right now, I think obviously I felt the same way as you, Ben. I, I wasn't sure he was going to get to the second week, so I that's really why I kind of didn't give him a lot of chance of the title. But now that he has gotten through the first week to the second week. Um, you know, at this point, would any of the big four winning surprise anyone? No. No. So it's just really tough to call between the four of them. And it's interesting that we put Federer in that group, too, considering what Federer's 2013 was like. And that he really does seem... People... I've talked to a lot of people, who do you think will win? A lot of people have said Federer. Yep. A lot of people. I've said, and uh, yeah. this is one of those <laughs> things, I think, people... To end it, it's just we've sort of talked about, I think, offline, maybe on the show, too, about when you know it's someone's last slam when they win and that you kind of never do. I mean, I think that when Federer won Wimbledon two years ago, he got back to the number one ranking at the same time. I don't think it really felt like the end. This time, if he won it here, I think people would be like, and that's the cherry on top. And it makes you wonder, with the person he's tied at, just to bring it full circle for the show, at 17, do you think Serena has won her last slam? No. Okay. I'll wait. I'll, you know... No, I just, it's really hard to shake that. I mean, it, I understand all of the, the data going the other way and everything like that, but, you know, she's just so capable of it. it it's just a matter of her lining everything, like lining up her her chakras or whatever <laughs> and just getting everything, you know, pure. And, and that could happen over the next couple of months for the U.S. Open and, you know, where she'll be undoubtedly the favorite again. So tough, 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 tough to write her off. All right, let's end it with that. Thanks, you guys, for listening. We'll see you again once the second week ends and this tournament is in the books. We'll be getting some time to go home from this lovely continent we've called our own for eight weeks now. Want go home? <laughs> There's Cranky Courtney. People enjoyed Cranky Courtney. I, actually, I guess. It was, it was I don't know. Split. There were strong reactions in both directions. <laughs> some that people were well. like, I want working hard every time. Some people were like, you are the most ungrateful, horrible person yes. ever. We're used to splits in our lives. Yeah. We're weirdly polarizing for pretty benign people. I, it's weird, but it works for me. Hey, yeah. hey, love us or hate us. Hate us or love us. That'll be our outro. See you later. Bye, guys. Bye. Yeah. Let's take them back. Uh-huh. Hate it or love it, the underdog's on top. And I'm gonna shine, homie, until my heart stops. Go ahead and read me. 
I'm Raps MVP And I ain't going nowhere so you can get to know me These are the love of the underdogs on top And I'm gonna shine, homie, until my heart stop Go ahead and envy me I'm Raps MVP, and I ain't going nowhere, so you can get to know me. I sold Dre from the gate, I carry the heat for you. First mixtape song, I inherited beef for you. Gritted my teeth for you, G-G-G-G for you. Put Compton on my back when you was in need of soldiers.